Thank you, John. So as we've gone through this series, the book of Malachi, if you'll remember, is, uh, is written like the narrative of a court case where, where God's been placed on trial. But backing up just a little bit, even, even before we get to the book of Malachi, let's start at the very beginning. We start in a garden. We start where God puts a man and a woman in this garden and gives them the tasks Gives them the task of being fruitful, multiplying, and cultivating this garden. And we see that not too long into the story, uh, we get in the way. And we wind up messing the whole thing up. Now, many of you, if you're like me, you've wondered, why in the world would God even make it to where we could screw the whole thing up? Because that's the way love works. That's the way relationship works. Uh, you know, I... I don't want my wife to be a robot. I don't, want, I don't want the kind of relationship where she's forced without will to love me. She loves me because she desires to love me. Same with me. I love her because I desire to love her. And my will is involved in that decision. That makes love really beautiful, really awesome, and really intense. It makes it really hard, makes it really painful, and makes it very stressful. At times as well. When all our human emotions, all our frailty, and all our brokenness gets in the way. Um, love is a wonderful thing. And love turned the wrong direction. Goes south really quick. And so as we're looking at the book of Malachi, we see... Again, Malachi is written as this narrative or this court case where God's been placed on trial. And throughout Malachi, we see that the people of Israel, we see them grumbling against God with his apparent lack of love and justice. And, and Malachi details the claims that Israel has against God, but it also speaks to the claims that many of us have today against God in our own hearts. So, Back and forth throughout this short book, we see the debate continues. The children of Israel question God, and God continues to question the children of Israel. And as it progresses, we can begin to see that the root behind Israel, as well as our own accusations against God, are due to the fact that we've closed our hearts to the love of God. We have rejected His covenant and the blessing that God wants to pour out on us. But today, just for a minute, I want to keep this in context. This is written to Israel, for Israel, and it's easier for us to hear as good old Americans and even better independent Texans that those people have some real issues. Uh, these are some people that really need to deal with their problems. Um, Sometimes when we read ourselves into the story, we give ourselves a little more leeway. It's easier, we'll just keep this in context for a minute, and we'll say, well, those darn stubborn children of Israel. So why have they, the children of Israel, remember we're not talking about ourselves right now, why have they in this passage, in this last few passages of Malachi, why have they in this passage closed their hearts 
to the love of God? Why have they rejected his covenant and the blessing? Now, remember when we first started, we talked about who's this written to? Well, yes, the children of Israel. But if you remember, the children of Israel have come out of bondage back into Israel. The temple is being rebuilt. And so this is a time when all this has already taken place and a generation or two now has already gone by. And so this is written to the children of the returning exiles. This is not written to those that have been in bondage, have been without the temple, remember what slavery is like. This now is a, a generation or maybe two generations past the actual exiles. And so they've been born into this privilege. And they don't know They don't remember what it was like to be enslaved. So why have they, the children of Israel, I repeat my question, why have they in this passage, in the last couple of chapters of Malachi, why have they closed their hearts to the love of God and why have they rejected his covenant and his blessing? Why are they questioning him? Because they have it all wrong. They have it backwards. So now let's bring it forward as a more enlightened people with greater access to education and technology and the internet and a 24-hour news cycle and most important, the New Testament and the full revelation of God's word through Jesus. What was it that Jesus taught us? He says in Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And When we hear the kingdom of God there, for some reason, maybe it's us as preachers' faults, we we haven't reminded you that the kingdom of God is not just talking about in the sweet hereafter, in heaven. It's not talking about when we leave here. Because in context, why would that make any sense? Seek the kingdom of God. Seek heaven? I'm living here right now. Why Why would I be seeking what's next? But he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Well, when I'm already in heaven, I won't have to worry about living righteously. I'll be made new. I'll be righteous. But he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So he's talking about this life. How do you seek the kingdom of God in this life? It is a way. It's a way of life. The kingdom of God is a way of life. It's a way of living. And so... Israel, those people, remember, weren't seeking the kingdom of God, but rather the kingdom of self. And because of this, in context to Malachi's prophetic narrative, the children of Israel are about to lose the kingdom and lose everything else as well. Now, this is not a salvific thing. He's not talking about they're about to lose their salvation, that the Lord is about to reject them as a chosen people. What he's saying is the way of life you know, the freedom that you have, This land that you're living in, Israel, has a covenant associated with it. I've done my part. Now, you must remain righteous to keep this land and this way of life. And if you don't do that, you'll lose that. We, of course, bringing it forward again, would never do this because we're much more advanced We're a more educated people with access to the New Testament and God's full revelation. 
So we would have no excuse to fall into this sort of self-absorbed, all-about-me culture, a culture that would put God on trial. That wouldn't apply to us. We're, we're so much further along now. See, folks, you can't argue that today we're a more advanced, knowledgeable, educated, informed culture and then turn right around and claim that we have more revelation as New Testament believers but then live less morally responsible, more theologically ignorant, and more blatantly rebellious of God's instructions and Christ's example. You can't have it both ways. If we're smarter holier and more humble before Almighty God than Israel was, then where is the evidence in the lifestyle of a people that know him in a deeper, more intimate way? So let's see what happens to them, the children of Israel. Because with all we know and all the information and all the books and all the access to, especially through Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we, the smartest generation in world history, would never put God on trial and demand his justice. Since we know, especially through Jesus' own sacrifice, that we are guilty and in need of copious amounts of grace and mercy, we would surely never put him on trial. We would surely, having the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly, and without him, we can't get this done, Surely we would know with that information that you don't stand before a holy God and demand justice when I am part of the problem and I am in need of mercy. Remember as we've talked through this series, if you know you're guilty and you go before the judge and demand his justice, what is wrong with you? If you are guilty, then you throw yourself at the mercy of the judge. The last thing you want to do if you're guilty is throw yourself at his feet and say, I demand justice, judge. So my question to you is, is God guilty or are the people guilty? Let's look, because it says in the scripture, it says, then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord took note and listened. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and thought on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act. And I will spare them as parents spare their children who serve them. Then once more you shall see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and one who does not serve him. These revered ones... Of the Lord act as the jury in this court case. And it's interesting that they're the only ones who truly understand what's going on. They're the ones, and they're the only ones who see clearly. They perceive the reality of God and his kingdom and rightly understand that God has been faithful to his covenant and to his love for them. God has been constant in his love in spite of the people's constant rejection of God. In fact, if you go back and you read through Malachi and focus on God's response in the face of constant rejection and faithlessness, we see a clear theme that runs throughout, and it's the theme of love. God loves them, and he continues to love them. 
God proclaims at the very beginning of the book. And we see how it's played out throughout the book. He says, I have loved you and I continue to love you. But the verdict's been given. The day of the Lord is coming. The book of remembrance has been written with the names of the righteous written in it. Will our names be recorded in this book as a part of the faithful? Hear now the good news, though, proclaimed in the Hebrew Scriptures. This is prior to Christ's coming in the flesh. I'll read it again. John wrote it earlier. It says, See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will, will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. See, the day of the Lord is like a coin. It has two sides, and on one side, it's a blessing, and it's positive. And on the other side, it's a curse, and it's negative. And the faithful will be spared on the day as a father spares an obedient son. But those who do not return to him, they will indeed be burned like stubble. And it's our choice. So if you think of a coin, if you think of a dollar bill, if I come to you today and I'm, let's, let's just make it something really worth value. I give you a thousand dollar bill. That thousand dollar bill has two sides. But more than that, that thousand dollar bill is neither moral or corrupt. But in the hands of the holder, it becomes a tool for righteousness or it can become a tool for something very evil. And so my point with the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord comes and we hear that, when we read it earlier, it says, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Great for those that long to do righteous in their heart. Horrible for those whose heart is wicked. For those that have turned from him. From those that have walked away or have never known him. It's our choice. The verdict has been given. For us to stand before a righteous God and say, How in the world could you send someone to hell, God? How could you do this? I've done nothing. I've sent my son to make the way possible. I've given everything myself. I gave me to make sure that wouldn't happen. Your choice is your choice. Remember when we started and I talked about all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Love is a beautiful thing. And love can hurt like crazy. What are we doing with that love? What are we doing with the sacrifice? 
The verdict's been given. Which side will we be on? But Malachi has one more word to share, one more speech to give, pleading with us to remember. Remember God's love. Remember God's covenant. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember that in spite of the guilty verdict, he still offers us pardon if we will return to him. If we will return to him. God will not give up on us, and he offers us mercy. He says, Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. It's our choice. The verdict's been given, and in spite of our guilt, there's still hope, but we have to decide which side of the coin we will receive. Will it be a blessing? Will it be a curse? And our decision about God will determine our destiny, eternal life or death. It's our choice. God has extended his mercy and his love. He says, I have loved you, and I continue to love you. So what's your response? So today, those of you, today is judgment day. And those of you who've never followed Jesus, you've never made him Lord of your life. You've never accepted him as your Savior, your Savior and your Lord. I encourage you. I want you to fill out your connect card. I want you to take that on the back of it. I want you to write down. If this is the day, then I want you to write down. I've, I've never walked with him. He's never been Lord of my life. But I want to make him Lord of my life. If today's the day of choosing, then I want him to be that. And the reason I want you to write it on the back of your connect card is when we take up the offering in a minute, I want you to put that in there. We want to reach out to you. We don't want to embarrass you in any way. We want to reach out to you. And we want to help you make the next step in your spiritual journey. But for others of you, those who've stopped following and gone backward, I'm going to ask that you leave pride and reservation at your seat. And I'm going to ask that in an act of submission and repentance, that you too would take that connect card. And on the back of it, I'd like for you to write down specifically what you're struggling with. Maybe it's a specific sin. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's I'm angry with God. I want you to write it down. No one's going to contact you unless you ask on the card for us to contact you. But I want you to specify what it is that you're struggling with. I don't want you to be embarrassed, but I want that information because we want to pray for you. Today. Let us pray.